What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Kara. Well, we got a great show lined up. Great show lined up today. I'm excited. Um, I've got some thoughts. You're going to have some thoughts as well. I know on this. I might, I might upset you with this discussion about quarterback play and what kind of these last few weeks have shown us in both, I, I think, at the college level and in the NFL. And we'll, I think we might actually disagree on this. Is it okay. weird to call my shot on that? Uh, listen, I'll disagree with anyone about anything. So you just <laughs> pick a time and place. <laughs> so we'll do that. Cole Kublik's going to join us, talk through a bit of some Auburn things. Cole breaks it down like very few people, if anybody in this business can. We'll talk offensive line storylines. I mean, a whole lot of great stuff with him. And then we're going to close by checking in on New Year's resolutions in figuring out and lad of the week. Question that I find myself asking as we approach NFL championship weekend. Should we stop writing off so many quarterbacks? Pretty basic question, right? It's interesting to look at the four quarterbacks who will play championship weekend. I realize we're a college podcast. So I'm going to get to this. We're not talking just NFL today. I promise you. Nobody is going to look at these four quarterbacks and say, wow, this was the group that nobody believed in in the NFL. Because if you look beyond the Brock Purdy thing, you've got Pat Mahomes, you've got Joe Burrow, you might have heard of them. They came off the board in the first round, Burrow number one, and then Jalen Hurts went in the second round. But it's really incredible to think about where the championship weekend quarterbacks were back in college. Go back to this time. Pat Mahomes, three-star recruit who played in an air raid offense that wasn't exactly known for producing NFL quarterbacks at the time. Joe Burrow wasn't going to start unless he transferred before his fourth year of school. And if you think that he was beating out Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State, you're just wrong and you're misremembering that entire dynamic. That wasn't going to happen. He had to go to LSU to start. Wasn't good enough to start at Nebraska, according to a certain Scott Frost. It was between Cincinnati and LSU. Wild to just think about that. Jalen Hurts. It's Scott Frost. Oh, man. Do you think he's better than what we got? Yes, I do think he's better than Adrian Martinez, who has not played a down of college football yet. Confirmed. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts. He gets benched after two years as a starter. He had to watch from the sidelines during his junior year, which is supposed to be big pre-draft season. And that's that's not when you're, you're supposed to be figuring things out. And Jalen Hurts, at that time, you know, 2017, 2018, was anybody saying that he was going to be an early round NFL draft pick? Forget NFL success, but just being an early round NFL draft pick, nobody was saying that. And then, of course, obviously, Brock Purdy, barely a top 1,000 recruit nationally in 2018. Shout out to Bama for being one of five Power 5 programs to offer him scholarship. He has a great four-year college career as a starter at Iowa State, but he's still Mr. Irrelevant as the last player selected in the NFL draft. All of those guys had a pretty big college roadblock that they had to overcome. If it sounds familiar to hear, like to hear those words, these quarterbacks working through a roadblock, it's because it is. We just saw this. Stetson Bennett, Max Duggan, but just played in a national championship. You know the deal with Stetson Bennett. We're not going to go down that road again. Max Duggan, scattered power five offers, multi-year starter. He couldn't even get an offer from in-state Iowa. Probably not going to be the guy for his new coach. Then the starter gets hurt. He steps in, Heisman runner-up, LSU to a title game berth, all those things. We talked last year about Bryce Young after winning the Heisman. Gets up there, gets on the podium, and he's like, I was doubted my entire life. (laughs) Everyone's like... No, you weren't. You don't know what was better. What was better propaganda? The Georgia player seven saying you guys thought we'd be seven and six or Bryce Young saying no one, no no one believed in me. 
the propaganda that Kirby sold to get Georgia players to believe in that was better, probably better than whatever sort of doubt Bryce Young had because he's still a small guy. And I'm sure everybody wants the, wants the, the number, you know, two overall recruit like him to be a bust. So there's still some of that there. The Georgia seven and five. That's you got to get everybody on that page. You got to find one like Knoxville news headline. You get, that's actually a good point. Yeah. Levels masterclass. If you are a politician, you need to hire Kirby smart as an advisor to just find these fake numbers and, and do whatever you can to cook the books. That That's that guy. We need to give more credit to Kirby for being able to do that. But yeah, these narratives that we come up with quarterbacks, some of which are kind of like, all right, like who really doubted you? And then other cases like, I actually would agree if these guys said, yeah, I was totally written off before I even got to the NFL. Purdy's going to have all of this attention on him throughout this week, which, you know, as you should, it's amazing to think that he's in this place as a third stringer who was literally the last player taken in the draft. But I feel like such an idiot, not when I watch him, but when I watch Jalen Hurts do anything in the NFL, I feel like a moron because I wrote him off at 19 years old. 19 years old. And I don't yeah. mean I wrote him off as a good player because he's a good college player, sophomore year. He's still a good player. I ranked him as my number one quarterback in the SEC rankings that I had to do each and every week on Monday. I remember those columns back in the day. And even though he wasn't really gelling with Brian Dable as a coordinator, as a play caller, it was still pretty obvious. All right, this guy's a good college player, but they're, they don't really look like they're taking that next step. My clear takeaway from that season was this guy doesn't have an NFL future. He was 19. He was 19. It sounds premature because it was premature. In addition to not really gelling in the Brian Dable offense, you kind of look at the receiver situation. You'd see talent all over the board. I mean, they had Calvin Ridley, who was his only target that year. But all of those young, talented guys that Bama had as freshmen, you know, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, those guys weren't being able – they weren't able to consistently get separation yet. And, you know, as an LSU fan, you've seen this. You can have those guys on your roster, but until they figure out how to get separation – it's a little bit different. So I don't like, Oh yeah. Running more than two routes also helps. Yes. That, that as well. That as well. So that team just kind of struggled with that. And maybe some of that was on Jalen, not trusting those guys. And some of that is just on the, the system that he was playing, whatever the case may be. But what we're seeing play out is that you can have these things said about you and we can feel like we have you figured out. And we really don't, we don't, we're seeing, more quarterbacks than ever who have been written off succeed in the NFL. And it's easier than ever to write off college quarterbacks. But I think right now, college NFL quarterbacks, rather NFL quarterbacks have more paths to success than ever because they've got the portal. You've got all these quarterback camps. You've got pass friendly offenses where they can get reps. The rules favor them more than they did 20 years ago. There have never been more paths to NFL success for college quarterbacks than there are right now. And Jalen Hurts is the perfect example of this. He is. 2019. Battle that we talked about just a little bit. Tua. Jalen. Who's going to be the starting quarterback for Bama? It was always going to be Tua. Was it ever not going to be Tua? You never thought it was going to be Jalen, did you? No, yeah. I think after 
after the Georgia game and everything. And and I think too, like, but I think that narrative has a lot to do with it, right? Because we were kind of sold that Tua was like an NFL quarterback who could make all the throws. And Jalen was like this running college quarterback. And so that's what was like holding them back, according to some people, is that they didn't have this quarterback. So I think it all kind of played into it that it seemed like just such a logical decision at the time that Tua was way better than Jalen. And that that entire offseason was, was bizarre because – that's just not something that we've typically seen at Bama. And to have that moment on a national stage like that, it, it did feel like a unique situation. And the, the comment that made the rounds that kind of magnified everything, Jalen Hurts' dad makes the very ominous uh, statement to, to Matt Hayes when Matt was writing for Bleacher Report. And he said that Jalen, if he's not the starter, he'll be the biggest free agent in college football history, which at the time, eh, there's maybe a case to be made for that for, to a certain extent. Obviously the portal has changed things, but what gets yeah. lost, what gets lost in the shuffle that year was not just that Jalen handled the benching well, but you know, because we saw these things with him being a team guy and the sec championship and he steps in and you're like, all right, that guy's just wired. Right. He didn't quit. I, at one point went on fine bomb and was like, Jalen hurts is probably going to quit to save his eligibility. That was a dumb thing that I said. Don't know why I did that, but you instead see, he worked with Danny Nose, shout out Arkansas, just hired Danny Nose, and he got better. He got better. That that was overlooked with that 2018 season. Go back and watch the throws that Jalen started to make that year, a lot of which was in mop-up duty. So maybe, you know, we're kind of not really paying attention to it, but I kept thinking he's doing things that he didn't do those first two years when he's SEC Offensive Player of the Year as a true freshman. He leads Bama to a national championship as a sophomore and like a national championship berth, I should say. But you're seeing these things. You're seeing maturation because when you're 19, 20 years old, that's what you're supposed to be doing. So then obviously he decides he's going to use that final year of, of eligibility, go play for Lincoln Riley, continue to develop as a passer. Jalen put in the work and he got better. He also got to the NFL and he gets to a, a place and a system eventually where he gets an offense that's built around him, an offense yep. built around a quarterback skill set. That is everything in this day and age. And because there is so much more crossover, Will, you've been on this for a while. There's so much more crossover between college and NFL. We're getting to see guys like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts all go to places where they had head coaches who are willing to say, this is our offense. We're going to use you with your legs. We're not going to ask you to be something that you're not. And this is how we're going to win football games. And those floors of those respective offenses were so much better for it. There's probably an example that I'm forgetting about too, where a team, even the Bengals recently with Joe Burrow, where they changed like going under center versus going into shotgun. Like, yep. Hey, he likes going out of shotgun. Let's, let him do let's it. Let's do it. <laughs> let's let let's, him do it. What, who is the victim here? Who could be harmed? Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, Daniel Jones might now be in this category that he's like halfway yeah. good. Yeah. It, it, Brian Dable, ironically yeah. enough, mm -hmm. he looks much better. I, I was definitely, and Marler and I used to get into to fights about this. He used to think Daniel Jones was good. I was like, this guy sucks. I don't know why he's being drafted in the NFL this high. I wouldn't have taken him as like a second round pick. I started getting to a pretty good player in that offense, but building the system around his skill set and what he can do. Yeah. You're seeing this play out. There is really, really quick on that. It's one thing too, that it's like, it's the easiest thought process in the world, but for like 60, what, 80 years, NFL coaches just wouldn't do it. It's like, Hey, you have been given this weapon. You have been given Jalen hurts. It's like, 
what are you going to do with him? Are you going to make him be Tom Brady? Because that's obviously not the best way to use this weapon. What you're going to do is, yeah, I mean, you you have this amazing offensive line. You have two number one receivers. Yep. You put him in situations where those receivers are in one-on-one coverage, and you basically just make the defense pick their poison over and over and over again. And he's a good enough passer of the football to where he can hit guys even in tight windows. He can get to those NFL windows. And it's funny because with Jalen specifically, it's like there is – it's almost like another narrative took it over. This is going to sound so dumb, but he's like the just actual apex coaches kid because every year he learns something new. He does. And, and, and he's one of those guys that it's like, and there's like a couple of like NBA, like uh, CJ McCollum is like a version of this where it's like, yeah, no, it's pretty, pretty easy to see that he was going to end up here. And then he just kept learning and kept learning and kept learning. So I don't think anybody was dumb for thinking that because Saban thought it like literally Nick Saban was like, Tua is better than Jalen. And obviously in the NFL, I personally think that Jalen's just better than Tua now because he adds not only the health factor, but the amount of things you can do in that offense to where it's like if you shut down the passing game with Tua you know the offense is kind of dead in the water whereas with Jalen it's like well even if you shut down the run game he's advanced enough of a a passer to get you there so yeah I think that NFL offenses are finally starting to kind of drink the Kool-Aid and look up and be like hey you know we don't need to build a scheme around like we need to build a scheme around our players not players around the scheme because we saw, we've seen the Patriots kind of do that over time. It's like, Hey, we have two good tight ends. We're going to run a lot of two tight end sets. Like it seems obvious, but still think about how many NFL quarterbacks over the years have been completely misused. And you almost want to get a time machine and be like, Hey, what if these coaches actually cared yes. about building these guys up versus being smarter than everyone? And it's difficult. I'm not saying that's an easy thing to do because a lot of these coaches get to these places because of the schemes that they've developed. And if your entire livelihood depends on, you know, the offense that you run or whatever it is, then you're going to run what you think makes sense. But seeing these coaches be willing to say, oh, this is what you're good at. This is how the game has changed. And this is how we are going to be able to win games. It's everything. It is everything now. And it, it just changes what we think of quarterbacks, in my opinion. Like, there's nobody in their right mind who thought four or five years ago that Jalen Hurts would be an injury away from probably being the league MVP. I mean, that's how good of a year he had with Nick Sirianni, who, by the way, like when I was watching them last, I remember watching them last year against that against the Cowboys, that game that they played in Dallas, where he had yeah. him throw all those times and they just weren't running with Miles Sanders and they just had Jalen Hurts be a sitting duck back there. I was writing him off then too. And I was saying, there's no way this is going to work. He went to the wrong system. I feel terrible for Jalen Hurts. But instead, everything has changed. Everything has changed in the last year. And in hindsight, that was dumb for me putting a ceiling on him. And, you know, what was it based on? Like, really, at the end of the day, was it based on Jalen Hurts not being someone who could throw at 70 yards? Was it based on him actually being a true dual threat quarterback? Was it based on him being more dangerous with his legs than his arm as a 19 year old quarterback? Like those are, those were the early knocks. And there were still questions about Jalen entering the NFL, which I'm not against. Like we have to be able to scrutinize these quarterbacks. And if you're a GM or something like that, like your job depends on it. What complicates things though, is that our patience level is lower than ever. So it's never been easier, especially with Twitter and the way that exists, to quickly write off quarterbacks. This isn't the early 70s. I always love bringing up the Terry Bradshaw example. Do you know, have I, I think I've said this on these airwaves at some point I have, because I feel like I've gone through these numbers before. The Terry Bradshaw example, for those who don't know, he started with the Steelers 
for five years. Everybody, you know what? Everybody do a little, this is a little sing-along exercise. Right now, whatever device you're on, if you can, or if you're on your computer or something like that, if your car don't, if you're in your car, don't do this. Yeah. Pull up, pull up the Terry Bradshaw football reference page. I'm already on it. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you can follow along with me. He started with the Steelers for five years after being the number one overall pick started for much longer than five years, but we're going to focus on those first five years with Terry Bradshaw, his TD to INT ratio in those first five years, six to 24, 13 to 22, 12 to 12, not bad. 10 to 15, seven to eight, his yards per attempt. Those first five years, 6.5, 6.1, 6.1, 6.6, He completed better than 50 passes in a season just once in those first five years. And I get it. Quarterback play was different back then. We're not judging them by the same exact standard that we judge quarterbacks today. The Steelers dug in their heels because they had the steel curtain. And in that stretch, quarterback wins 32 and 18. And that also included a Super Bowl in year five. He had five years in the league already. And at age 27, he was still being given the keys to the franchise. Whereas yep. like today's day and age with those stats, we're like, all right, we, we got to get this guy out of here. We got to find somebody else. I don't care that he was number one overall pick. Let's get somebody else in here. And in year six, they ended up being rewarded. And he was really good after that. He was, but the NFL doesn't work like that anymore. And we can't think like that. So it's difficult. How do we balance this premise of not writing these guys off during their college careers or holding something that they did in college against them. We demand so much more from quarterbacks, but at the same time, I'd argue that there has never been more paths to be able to get to that level of success. And it used to be a lot of genetics. It really was. I mean, big, oh, yeah. big arm, stand in the pocket, take a hit, survey the Caucasian. Defense. You said it. I mean, hey, yeah, I, I, I'll, you know, we're looking at a quarterback here who had a 38% completion rating in, in uh, Terry Bradshaw. 38% for a, percent for a season. This is a dude who threw 24 picks in 220 attempts. I have never seen an interception percentage at 11 before. So, like, it literally was an eye test back then. You would look at a guy and be like, he's a big, strong, strapping lad. He looks like Gaston. He'll probably figure it out. And it's like, he did. I give him he credit. Did. But if we saw that season today... That makes old boy in New York with the Jets, uh, Wilson, look like, I mean, Tom Brady, comparatively. Terry Bradshaw is not a thing that we're talking about 50 years later. If he is obviously putting up anywhere near, anywhere near as bad as numbers is, is what he did back then, because we we have changed our patience level. We, we yes. absolutely have. And, and there should be, there's more money at stake. I get all those different things. But it, it was more of like, if you couldn't make those all world throws, there was just going to be no place for you. I truly think that what we're seeing play out in college and in the NFL is that there's just more than one way to skin a cat. And again, I have no idea who these dudes are who are out here skinning cats, but you get what I'm saying. What can you win with? What can you win with? Forget all the other stuff. Can you win with that guy? Ed Odron knew after he saw Burrow in that first that first camp when he when he comes and he's at LSU. And, and he's getting that that love already after after coming in from Ohio State. We're still kind of figuring out who exactly is Joe Burrow. And Odron is like, yeah, I can win with that guy. And I don't care if every quarterback not named Miles Brennan transfers away from LSU. And that's ultimately what happened. Then, of course, you change the scheme after 2018. And then you realize that you can do more than just win with Joe Burrow. You can dominate with Joe Burrow. 
Obviously, same thing is true with Mahomes. As a Bears fan, there's part of me that's sick to my stomach thinking about trading up for Trubisky, letting Mahomes and Deshaun slip. Of course, it's always going to be there. But I truly, in my heart of hearts, do not think that the Bears have the offensive structure in place for Mahomes to become anywhere near what he is today. And that sounds jaded because it is. What's so encouraging about Justin Fields that skeptics don't really realize and they're like, oh, you should trade him and just draft Bryce Young number one overall. And I'm not saying that Justin Fields is automatically going to be a better player than Bryce Young. That's not what I'm saying. But what skeptics don't realize is that the Bears in year two built the offense around his skill set and they let him use his legs to keep plays alive and be the best version of that offense. And they never do that. They're the epitome of the NFL team that just like, nope. This isn't going to work for us. That's why Jay Cutler going rogue all the time was like this, this thing that, that had everybody up in arms. You got to run the football and play smash mouth defense. We're the monsters of the midway. Different, different times that we are currently living in. And it does it doesn't necessarily guarantee that Justin Fields is going to be a star, but he has such a better chance of succeeding than if the Bears just try to take what Ohio State did and use that offense. That Ohio State offense is so difficult to replicate in the NFL because those Ohio State receivers are insane and they could get massive throwing windows for Justin Fields. Or if they didn't have massive throwing windows, Justin Fields could just trust them to go up and make a play. And I'm not saying that made his job easy because he made plenty of NFL style throws and he does things that we value, of course, but build the system around the skill set because now guys are being they're being set up for success with what they're doing in college can you imagine being brock purdy i thought about this a lot over the course of the last few weeks as he's become hit as he's begun his rise in the nfl i know that iowa state iowa state had some dudes on those teams too they they did they definitely did how about matt campbell that dude should have taken a job and gotten out of there because he had Brees hall and he had brock purdy and they have just been on the decline since those guys left and he went from looking at you know lsu and florida to like i think he might just be stuck there they were not good this year they had dave montgomery they had alan, Laz- alan lazar they, they had some they dudes they had, yeah. they had some really good good guys that played at the skill positions those four years that brock purdy was there but i'm not trying to discount that but imagine having all of his reps as a four-year starter at Iowa State where you've you've seen a lot during that time and you maybe haven't always dealt with the best protection, whatever. Um, but you show up and you know to to the NFL after being in a place where you're lucky to get a four-star recruit. Let's let's be honest. You're not getting a whole lot of those coming to Ames, Iowa. You show up to the NFL knowing that you could read defenses, knowing that you can hit guys in stride, and you look around and you're like, oh, there's Debo Samuel. Oh, there's George Kittle. Oh, there's Christian McCaffrey. Oh, my left tackle is Trent Williams. And oh, I've got the most feared run game schemer on the planet in Kyle Shanahan. And just in case that wasn't enough, that wasn't going to set me up for success just enough. I also am the quarterback of the team that has the number one defense in the NFL. He can't wipe the smile off his face. And I don't think he should. And don't get it twisted. I'm not sitting here saying that he's just a system quarterback. He has benefited from his surroundings, which are super favorable. You know who needs to benefit from their surroundings if they're picked number one overall or if they're picked 262nd like Brock Purdy? The starting quarterback of an NFL team. They all need to benefit from their surroundings. I think it's awesome for college quarterbacks to see the way that these NFL playoffs and really the national championship played out because for so long, I think we've subscribed to the belief that a quarterback ceiling is so much about physical attributes. The physical stuff still matters, but I'd argue that it's more about just being able to exceed a certain threshold. Obviously you can't get to the NFL. If you're a five, 560 pound dude who can only throw a football 20 yards. It doesn't matter if you can read coverages and you have a photographic memory, like your Sean McVay, you'll get chewed up. You'll get spit out. But what I think we've seen lately is that so many of these guys get to the NFL and they're closer than we think. 
It's why I think there's never been less of a reason to break down the combine, especially for quarterbacks. And I don't want to see any of these pro day throws for anything more than fun social media content. Let's call that the Zach Wilson effect. Let's, let's leave that in the year 2022. Let's 2021. I guess it was at this point. Gosh, that was two years ago already. I don't want to see any more of that. I hope that has died a painful death of freaking out about these throws against air. Another trend that I'd like to start right here. Bazooka Joe, Bazooka Joe, please keep throwing balls 100 miles an hour. I'm so impressed by it. But just fun social content. That's yes, all it is. Exactly. That is all it is. I'm I'm all here for that content. If we want to do that, then by all means. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that actually means something in the grand scheme of things. The trend that I'd like to start here and today. Let's just not write off so many college quarterbacks. I am guilty of this. I'm telling you, I do it with guys like Bazooka Joe and Bo Nix. And I'm even guilty of it already with Graham Mertz. And I, I'm not sitting here saying that that every scrutinized college quarterback has the ability to lead their NFL team to a conference championship. But writing these guys off as 19 or 20-year-old kids, it's just never been dumber. And that's what I've kind of realized looking around at the sport right now. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I think I – th- what did you think I was going to disagree with? I thought you were going to disagree with the stuff about the physical attributes and say you can't teach the stuff that Joe Burrow has. And I'm not saying you could teach it, but I'm saying that there are so many different ways to be able to maximize a quarterback's abilities. And just because you get to the NFL playing in this offense, playing in this offense, doesn't mean that something is just destined to fail. Now, a triple option, you want to run that in the NFL? I am skeptical. Skeptical of that. Probably not going to be able to work long term. Yeah. So the funny thing about Joe Burrow is the way he's talked about as if he's like Drew Brees, he's still six, four. So like, you're probably right. And some of the things about Joe, like the whole, like Joe Burrow is like Tony Romo. Like I heard that like comparison coming out a lot. It's like, Oh, his arm strength is a question. And it's like, yeah, he's still six, four. His arm is still a trebuchet. Like if he said, if he stood next to me, he would still be a giant human. And I'm like, it's the threshold. Yeah. And so that's the thing is it's like, well, maybe you don't have to have this gun. Maybe you don't have to have all this sort of stuff, but you have enough. Like, it's not like if that's a question mark and you're 5'11". So I do think, I, I do think you're right. And, and that's why Joe Burrow is able to do some of this stuff that, yeah, he's weak in this area or this area, but sometimes you can just have the vibes and the leadership if you are really smart and can put the football in like, you know, tight windows. So yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and the big thing is like with quarterback evaluation, it's like, what is your X factor in determining that? And, and what we talked about earlier, Guys that'll keep learning because that's the biggest thing, right? I mean, so many guys will come in and, you know, light the league on fire early and then get kind of figured out. And we've seen guys rise and fall. But I think the big thing is determining that because it's pretty rare to get like an Andrew Luck, right? I mean, even, even Trevor Lawrence, who was the closest thing we've seen, struggled in year one. Yeah. Um, And that's just because his coach did not want to be there the entire year, apparently, because now he's fine. But point being, like, you can do a lot to break a quarterback, but I, I I do think that it's kind of a myth of like number one overall, like situation proof quarterbacks. Cause Trevor Lawrence is such a great example of like, here's a guy that like, you know, had checked every single box, number one recruit or two with fields, depending on which server or which service you looked at, you know, college cha- uh, champion, you know, Heisman runner up, like all this different stuff. And he gets there and it's like, it's got, this guy's like, and remember he came out and was like, honestly, I haven't struggled. And people got mad that it's like, I'd rather you be honest with me. Like I talked about that with the Bryce Young thing. And it's like, he finally saw their struggles and was able to go past them. Um, A lot of because of like what made him great and the physical tools and all that. But point being, you have to have an X factor and you have to get better. Because even if you are, uh, this guy's so polarizing. So I hate using him as an example, but like Lamar Jackson's an example, right? Where it's like, he had a year where he set the, the league on fire. Okay. And then he got better. I'm not saying he didn't get better, but 
he needed to add an element to his game that he obviously did not. And now, you know, he's kind of dealing with injuries. They're trying to figure out how much they're going to pay him. And there's so much around that. It's not really related to that. But point being, Hertz is different in that way because he has truly, number one, he's sturdy. Um, so like, that's another thing about Hertz. Like, I feel like to a degree, the weightlifting videos kind of hurt him because people were like, oh, this guy is just a physical freak. But then you realize he has that in his back pocket. Like, he's not like, you know, a Zion or like a Cam who was like this huge physical freak. And whenever things got bad, they would lean on this physicality. He knows he has that, but that's not how he wants to beat you. Now, if you keep giving it to him, he's going to take it. But sometimes those red flags as far as, oh, this guy's been bigger than everyone. This guy's been faster than everyone. It's not about that. It's about how you can build that into a functional offense. And so, yeah, I I do think like I'm looking kind of like trying to think of quarterbacks that have just sailed through. And like even Peyton Manning led the league in interceptions his first year, you know what I'm saying? And so even these guys that were these like rock solid prospects. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And what goes to show, you know, with these four guys, and I think this is pretty indicative is you really do. There's no one size fits all thing. It's about the team. There's not, you know, it's about the scheme. It's about the fit, but it's also about the player because I'm sure if we did the whole like round Robin, you know, and we put, Brock Purdy on the Eagles, it probably wouldn't go as well. And and I think the Shanahan thing is so funny, right? Because it's like the whole like too much is given, much is tested. It's like there's one dude who can win no matter who his quarterback is, and he has just been given no quarterbacks. Like it's either Jimmy G or Mr. Irrelevant, or they draft Trey Lance and he can't stay healthy. And it's so insane because I still in the back of my mind, I'm like, I think Purdy's good. I'm not dumping on him necessarily. And you could see that Shanahan trusts him. That's a big sure. deal because he he plays him differently than he does Jimmy G. But like sometimes you kind of wonder, like, I wish he had Jalen Hurts. And I, I want to see what that looks like, even though Jalen Hurts is in a great situation. So it's just it's just funny because it's like the 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 Purdy one is a little bit different because I don't even know if he's the long-term answer. Like if Trey Lance comes out and just looks awesome in camp, maybe he wins the job. But that just goes to show that everybody gets there in a different way, you know, because whenever Burrow got in the league. I was worried about Zach Taylor being too run dominant with Joe Mixon. And then as he started to gain that trust, like you talked about going at a shotgun, Joe started kind of having like a brain trust the way that Breeze and Peyton used to be with Zach Taylor. And now you see he's out in the snow in Buffalo, just zipping the ball down the field. And I was saying to myself, like, it would have made so much sense for Zach Taylor to just be like, we're going to, we're going to lean on Mixon. And it's like, that's not how this works. So I think coaches and quarterbacks that are adaptable, that keep learning because they're going to figure you out if you have one or two moves. I think that's the biggest thing. And that's the one thing all these guys have in common. Also, Pat Mahomes is like, just ridiculous like i think that's the other thing is like you know former pro athlete dad like i think it's pretty safe to say that guy got under recruited and given to andy reed and he's a nuclear warhead but to your point he had some issues though he had some issues in college which was yeah it was just it's but it's always just a matter of what do you feel like you can actually work through Mm -hmm. are your weaknesses going to be a significant detriment to being able to sustain drives and do all those things like mahomes's nfl success wasn't as as imminent as maybe as maybe some have made it out to be and yeah. he still had to go to the right place he's still i don't think chicago would have been the right place for him i maybe that's a maybe that's a crazy thing to say but i remember the end of the 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 pre-draft evaluations with him it was cool great off-platform stuff that's not going to be something that that we question but mahomes has figured out so much of the other stuff too and working with alex smith for the year that he did sitting on the bench yeah and it doesn't mean everybody has to sit on the bench, but that's what worked for Mahomes and going and playing with Andy Reid that worked for him. And so it's just become so interesting because from an evaluation standpoint, it's almost more of a crapshoot than ever. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I think it kind of is. And that makes it that much more difficult if you're in the front office, knowing that there are going to be people, if Brock Purdy wins the Super Bowl, 
the amount of people that treat quarterbacks like PFF treats running backs, that's yeah. going to be the new trend. Oh, you don't need to draft a, a Super Bowl winning quarterback. It's like, well, you also have these things in place. And it doesn't mean that every quarterback could have gone there, but you just saw one that you didn't have to spend any sort of resources on that was able to do it. So my, my biggest thing and the, the point that I've been trying to drive home is just writing these guys off when there are so many other things that can break their way some of which are in their control, some of which aren't. It's just dumb. And I need to stop doing it I, I, because I do it way too much. And this job sort of pushes me in that direction. But I need to get away from being so absolute with these guys when a lot of them still could have a lot of developing to do just because they're a household name. And we've been talking about this quarterback through Elite 11 through the last, you know, we've known who he is for the last three or four years. Doesn't necessarily mean that anything is set in stone. A hundred percent. And you know, another guy that's a great example, of this is Ryan Tannehill, right? Ryan Tannehill, yeah. you know, we watched him at AM. There was this whole like guy, oh, he's a little bit of a project, goes to the Dolphins. He's like fine. He's kind of like definitionally mid. He was a guy that was like, he'll take the next step every year. And then finally, you know, he goes to the Titans. It's like, well, now you have this zone run scheme with Derrick Henry, where you're like one of the best play action passers. So it really just is it's like a you know, it's like a meet and three in the South. It's like you gotta pick your pick your sides, <laughs> you know, you need something that fits what you're trying to do. Because obviously, if you put Mahomes in that system. You wouldn't be maximizing him. So yeah, I I think that like you're you're right, and there's a little bit of revisionist stuff about Mahomes too because I remember at the time thinking that Deshaun Watson was going to be way better than him, and obviously Watson has like a whole other like you know, thing that's it's hard going to do that. Him. Yeah, yeah, like that's a whole other thing that nobody saw coming. But and he was also like he's he was pretty good when he was all good. But point being like. I remember like being the college guy being like, you know, okay, how about this? As college guys, if we're going to take victory laps about guys like Trubisky, we got to also acknowledge guys like Mahomes that were like, this sure. guy was trash in college. And it's like, yeah, okay. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like there was so much revisionist stuff about Mahomes that I even just did a little bit with like, oh, his dad was a pro athlete. Because if he goes to, not to dump on Jags fans, but if he goes to the Jags, you know what I'm saying? With Urban Meyer or whatever, are we looking at Pat Mahomes like he's a bust or like he's a bum if he has three years of inconsistent OCs, bad line play, all this different stuff? So, yeah, I really do think, you know, it's all situational. And sometimes you can get a guy who, you know, has a whole second career. I mean, Drew Brees was that guy for the Saints. You know, he busted his shoulder, pulled up in New Orleans, had this whole second renaissance of a career. But, you know, I, I just don't think, you know, number one, if you get a guy, don't think it all, will automatically work. But to your point, if a guy doesn't work somewhere else, don't automatically think he's trash. Because I think that's yeah. the thing that people want to do. Michael Calabrese brought up a great point. Ryan Tannehill is the only quarterback taken in the first round who came from a Power 5 program where he really wasn't that good. I Like, wasn't really that good. And he has turned into a successful NFL quarterback. Seriously, go back and find the guys who weren't that good at power five programs. I did this exercise because when I saw this tweet, I'm like, Oh, surely he's wrong about this. And I went back and I'm, I'm like, Tommy Maddox, maybe uh, Jeff George, maybe, but the guys who weren't particularly good, like if you're an all conference quarterback at a power five school, you're good. Okay. You're getting take, but why, why that matters for this year is because we're going to have these conversations about Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, right? And two guys who look, I, I've been more pro Will Levis than anti, but the idea of, ta of taking him with a top four pick in the NFL draft terrifies me. Absolutely would absolutely right. terrify me if the Colts took him as a top four pick. I'd be texting my in-law saying, uh, you know, I, I love the intangibles. I love a lot of things that he's working with. That makes me nervous. Or alternatively, because of all the points that I just mentioned, 
Is something like that about to change? Daniel Jones was an example of a guy who maybe was about to be able to, to change that. We'll kind of, you know, I, I think he's made a pretty good case to be one of those guys, but it is super, super rare to see somebody be kind of relatively average in terms of their conference competition. You wouldn't put them as like a top two or three quarterback in the conference at the, at the power five level. And then to see them go in the first round and have a good NFL career. It is super atypical. And I didn't even realize that until I saw that, until I saw that stat, but it's a wild exercise to do. I recommend anyway, if you've got, if you've got football reference open still from the, the Terry Bradshaw thing, just, just go and do it, do it yourself there. But yeah, I was about to say the fall. first round caveats and interesting because they were played like, Tom Brady is a guy who was like fine in college that just kind right. of figured it out, but nobody was taking Tom Brady first round. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody was like, we got to have this guy. So no, I think that's a really good point. And that so many of those guys that you're using the old archaic evaluation methods of like, this guy's six, five, he has a really handsome face. He might be able to like, whatever he it, strong handshake. Like a lot of those guys have really not panned out that we're just kind of mid in college. And like, obviously you have Josh Allen, who is just like this complete freak, but he, didn't play in the power five. power five. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like that. Like I said, the, <laughs> I think that we had a way to find quarterbacks that was wrong, but we just kept saying it over and over again. And like back in the day, everybody pretty much had a bad quarterback. Like every older quarterback, you could even talk about like an Elway, like every old quarterback was bad to start their careers almost. And so pretty much the dirty secret about old like NFL stuff is that pretty much everybody had bad quarterback play except for like two or three teams a year. And then, people thought those teams were overrated because they threw the ball so much and you get like the Dan Marino stuff. Dan Marino, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's so funny because like we have this image of old football where it's like, Oh yeah. Like these quarterbacks just figured it out. It's like, honestly, people played so far around their quarterback play. That's why everybody had a good run game. Everybody had a good defense. Cause instead of actually figuring out how to use their quarterbacks, they were like, he's just a turnover machine. We can't fix him. Dude. Elway and Marino would be incredible in this day and age. I kind of, I yeah. kind of dog old quarterbacks. I was watching some old Marino stuff and I was like, that dude could sling it, man. He oh, was yes. unbelievable. Like, so it's, it's tough to, as we talk about quarterbacks from 40 years ago and try and compare it to now, but things have changed. And I think that's one of those premises that I think should be kept in mind throughout the NFL draft and something that uh, has, has played out in such a unique way. I think with this, this championship weekend. Okay. So let me ask you one question. Sorry, just to like put a bow in that whole thing. If I told you you could only pick one attribute, if you're like, hey, Bears are taking a quarterback, he can only have one thing, what would it be? Justin Fields' legs? Oh, no. Um, see, it's tough because my entire premise is like, I think you just need to hit those certain thresholds physically. So I wouldn't say uh, he needs to have the biggest arm. I wouldn't say that he needs to be 225, 230 pounds. I wouldn't say that he automatically needs to be like this unbelievable runner because it's certain thresholds of mobility that you need to be able to hit. So I don't even like reading defenses. If you can't read defenses in the NFL, you're not going to be able to succeed. So as long as you can hit all of those thresholds, those min thresholds and read defenses, so everything else that happens is so much outside of your control. And that's the difficult thing. And that's why we get this wrong. That's ultimately why we get this wrong all the time. It's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. Not saying it's easy at all. I think I just outlined why it's more difficult than ever to probably evaluate quarterback position, but that's the job and that's why you get paid. Okay. Before we kick it to Cole Kubelik, quick word from our friends at underdog. As we talk about sports betting, not legal in a bunch of States in the Southeast, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina. 
I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, and they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play on these contests. Every week, you can pick higher or lower for different players. Very similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line this is legal and live in states like alabama georgia florida texas texas etc i went two for i went two and two last week all my all four of my picks the unders hit on those so i hit on the running back unders but the receiver unders did not hit on they do not have the current playoff over unders out just yet probably waiting on a certain pat mahomes update to be able to figure out some of those numbers but be on the lookout for that yeah, it seems like it'll probably be important. Might play a factor in how much love Travis Kelsey gets, how much you can, uh, how much you can trust those receivers uh, to get open downfield. But yes, check in on those later in the week, or just scroll around, check 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 other sports as well because Underdog is all over it. It's awesome, super fun to do while you're watching football or any other sport in your living room. You can win real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog. Take advantage of our promo where Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog. All right, let's get to Cole. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good friend, Cole Kubelik. Cole, uh, at the end of the... Cowboys Niners game we watched Ezekiel Elliott attempt to play center I imagine what that did for so many former centers like yourself is you can sit your kids down who you know maybe if you didn't have kids who were there while you were playing or something like that you can sit them down and say kids this is why daddy's job was incredibly important yeah and for everybody else who just says offensive line is insignificant or doesn't matter or it's not very difficult to snap the ball and then try to block somebody um we got a taste of what it would look like for a specialty guy to attempt to do that now that being said uh i'm not going to say that i really agree with kellen moore to put him in that spot and i know they probably practiced it and it looked very different when they worked on it but i'm also assuming that defensive lineman linebacker was just kind of a thud up like what's going on not really sure we're going to take this serious as opposed to I'm about to knock you on your ass which is what happened to uh Zeke Elliott so I'm not going to put all that blame on him but it was refreshing to kind of see hey here's an elite football player that's trying to do something totally different and it doesn't always work out the way that a lot of folks think that it would what was the PFF grade on Zeke's pass blocking uh, I think that would probably be like a 17.3521. Uh, and you give him the 2-1 there because of his number and the 0.35 just because, you know, one-third of what he did was actually positive. That's snapping the football. Um, then you would have to probably, you know, then again, I don't know the assignment. They they always do know the assignments apparently based on the grades. So I, I don't know what his assignment was on that play if it was to actually take the blitzing linebacker or, you know, if he had hot to the outside, or another guy coming in that got to Dak, made him throw quick. So I didn't even see him identify a point linebacker on that play. I don't know if he set the defense, but they they know those things. So I'd have to have that conversation with them. So speaking of important centers uh, off the PFF tangent, <laughs> uh, said Van Pran, he's coming back for Georgia. Two years ago, Jordan Davis's return was huge for them. Last year, obviously, Nolan Smith, his return was huge. And, you know, you're kind of seeing – 
him he's going to come into the year with the same type of billing of being that that glue guy that leader that guy that everybody kind of turns to you can already pencil him in for media days all those different things given what he does and what that georgia line was last year how important was that to get him back i think it's massive uh you talk to guys inside their program i've had conversations with stacy searles the georgia offensive line coach about him and, and he talks about how he welcomes everything that comes with that position. And there are just certain positions on the field that that's what you want to hear about your guy. Obviously, quarterback, center, inside linebacker, your safety that's calling the back end of the defense. You want those guys to want to go above and beyond, to not just want to know, okay, this is going to be a combo block with my right guard up to 55. You want them to have the understanding of who's doing what, what the assignment is for everybody on the offensive line, who the back's going to have responsibility for. Then later in life, kind of why coverages are rolling certain ways, and he's obviously going to be able to be advanced enough to do some of those things. So I look at quarterback change at Georgia, and this offsets that a lot because now you have someone who can direct everything at the line of scrimmage, who can help a new starting quarterback, say, identify a defense or get into a different play. I mean, I've, I've been involved in situations where – you know, I, I would say, no, we don't need to check the run that way. We need to check it this way. So his communication there is going to be key. And then he's just a physical presence inside. A lot of times we see centers that are a little bit undersized and physically don't bring as much. Cedric brings that. I mean, he's got that oomph. He can get legitimate movement at the point of attack. And, you know, you, you lose a couple of guys up front. Uh, you know, Broderick Jones had a great year. Warren McClendon had a great year. But – now that you have solidified the middle, and I think Amarius Mims feels right in at one of those tackle spots, that's not going to be a big deal. You still have a good number of tight ends that are going to be back that can help that group out somewhat, a good group of backs. Um, but having him back, I think it anchors a lot down, and it solidifies a lot. It, it, I think, puts them – I think he's the best center returning in college football, and it puts Georgia immediately in the conversation of one of the best offensive lines in college football beginning 2023 as well. There's great value in returning production uh, on the offensive line. And at the same time, if your offensive line wasn't very good the previous year, it's kind of like, all right, well, how much does that really mean? And that's what we're kind of left figuring out what that is for AM because AM returns virtually everybody up front. And if you think back to the only time that they've really risen above expectations with Jimbo, it was 2020. And the Maroon Goons, they had all this continuity the entire yep. year. And that was kind of the name of the game. Just stay healthy in 2020. And those guys did it. They had a couple of NFL backs. They kept their quarterback clean. They did it really, really well. If AM is going to rise above expectations, I know we're going to talk all about the Bobby Petrino offense and all these different things, but where do you stand on them having that continuity and how much does that matter for this team? I think continuity is big. And I think Connor, when you're talking about putting a new offense in and let's be real, whether it's, you know, some of Jimbo's half of Jimbo's all of Jimbo's is still going to operate in a little bit of a different way. So that part is going to change somewhat having the understanding of what the guy next to you is going to do, going to say, going to be capable of wants to do, doesn't want to do, those things are all valuable. And it was a weird study last year for that group because they had guys that were really good football players that went backwards. Mm. And it wasn't effort. It wasn't like they went out there and didn't try or they got lazy, but technically, fundamentally, and then just how they work together as a group. But that, that part's understandable because you start rotating guys, moving guys, flip-flopping guys, get some younger players in. It's understandable. And then the offense becomes a little bit predictable as well. All of those things happen, and you're kind of like, yeah, it's all right. It's all good. So hold on one second. We got to get another Mario video going for this guy right here. Judge, Love say it. hello to the people on Saturday down south. 
Yeah. What's going on, man? There. What's going on? You just need a new one? Yeah, let's do that one. Yeah, go get Mario versus Mario. We're going to do that. Oh. Okay. Good job, bud. If there's somebody saying bad words on there, bring it back and daddy will get you a new one. That's what we do when dad's got solo time and uh, wants to do a video with, with Connor. So that's how we figure <laughs> that out. Um, I think the continuity is big, though, because you'll be presenting a lot of new things offensively. And there are guys there that are proven. They can play like Layden Robinson can play. like He's a war daddy when he's going, when he's on. Ruben Fatherly is a monster. I, I mean, he looks like an overgrown power forward playing football, like in a good way. Like he's got great length. He's athletic. He can move. He's got strong hands. They just have to get back to kind of what you were referencing two years ago, what we saw when they were finalists for the Joe Moore Award. And I do think the backs had a little bit of a, a little bit to do with that. They operate in a little bit of a different way. Uh, I don't think they were going to use A-chain as kind of a north-south back 20, 25 times a game. Now, I'll say this. Devon A-chain exceeded all my expectations last year of what he could manage, what he could handle. Was he a, a versatile all-around football player at running back? Or was he just a speed guy that was going to take some toss sweeps? Like, he put all that to rest and all that to bed. He had an amazing year. But I think the position that we probably won't spend a ton of time talking about that is of a little bit of concern for A&M going into this year is tight end. Now, that might end up not being of concern because I don't know how much Bobby's going to want to use a tight end. We've seen Jimbo use a lot of fullback. We've seen him use tight end, multiple tight ends. But if it is something that's going to stay there, you go back a couple of years ago and they had some guys that were big helps there and could, could help offset a little bit of what we're talking about that A&M needs to get back to. But the fact that these kids have played a lot of football together is going to give them a big head start. And I, I think you've got a, a tackle that's got a chance to be great, a guard that has already been great. I think you have a quarterback that has a chance to be great and a couple of receivers that have a chance to be great. So the, the sky's the limit for A&M this year, and that's dangerous. We don't like to say that because a lot of people feel like, well, we say this every year. Well, some of us didn't say that last year. I, I for one, didn't. It wasn't Alabama, A&M, and everybody else for me last year. So, matter of fact, I took some heat when I said I thought LSU was the third most talented roster in the league after Georgia and Alabama. So, uh, a and going to have one of the most talented rosters in the league, and they played so many young guys, a lot of them up front on that offensive line, specifically at center, that now are going to be able to help a lot of that sort of take that next step. Everybody at Auburn's wondering what in the world is Hugh Freeze going to do to be able to figure out – where they're at in their protection and and where they can be in the trenches that that with the Brian Harson regime it, it just didn't work out for one reason or another you could point to recruiting you could point to development whatever it was they just weren't on that level and so Hugh Freeze has been pretty active in the portal trying to trying to load up on offensive line talent he gets Gunnar Britton the kid from Western Kentucky who you know comes in having been in a system where all they do is throw Austin Reed yeah. led the country in passing they only allow 14 sacks I'm always curious kind of your take on a guy like that. Where do you kind of stand on their offensive line improvements? Because I know it's it's not just Britain. They've been able to add a couple of more guys, but you've been able to kind of break these guys down. Right. Good news for Auburn is Gunnar Britton's not going to have to line up against Derek Hall next year uh, because Derek Hall kind of made him look bad a couple of times. And I think, too, when you're talking about guys who are going to be able to come in and help, I think Gunnar Britton can be one of those guys. I also think that Dylan Wade is going to be the guy. Um, you know, Avery Young comes in. I think it's, it's Avery Young uh, comes in from ECU. I mean, it's just impossible to keep up with all these guys. Sorry, it's just yeah. like, sorry, I have to have cheat sheets for everything I do. And you get the center, Avery Jones, excuse me, uh, from ECU. 
who is athletic, has got good lateral quickness. Here, let me go back. Let me take a step backwards, Connor. All of these guys are an upgrade for what Auburn has had. Yeah. And I don't mean that individually. I mean that there are a lot of players on the Auburn offensive line the last three, five, maybe six, seven years that have stayed in the lineup that probably shouldn't have based on their performance and the way that they played. Well, there was nobody else to go in. Well, now you have a wave of players coming in that have experience, have played real college football, understand the physicality, understand the speed of the game, understand how to carry themselves as a college athlete. Yes, some of the competition is going to be better that they're going up against consistently, but they still understand how to come in and be able to play and do different things. So I think Dylan Wade from Tulsa is going to be your starting left tackle. Uh, would not be surprised to see Britton end up being your starting right tackle. And then Avery Jones has a good chance to start at center. So now you got three offensive linemen that you brought into the portal that you have upgraded the talent, the physicality, the ability, and honestly, the experience based on what they've done and accomplished over what you've had the last couple of years. So, and you still have some guys on that roster that can play. So I'm not just going to say that everybody there has no chance to help. There are a couple of guys that I think are going to have some opportunities. are going to fight for those positions. I mean, anybody comes in and wants to take your job. Most guys aren't just going to, I know we have this mindset now, everybody just hits the portal, but there are a lot of kids that still want to fight for what they have and what had been theirs before. So um, I, I think that that group, just based on the numbers that are going to be there and the ability that they're going to have first, second, third team, that's all going to be better than it's been. So it's a complete upgrade almost across the board because you're not having to rely on guys that don't have experience, don't play good football even when they're in the game, and you know you have somebody else behind them that at least has the ability to come in and be serviceable. And even down the stretch, too, once they went all in with the ground game, once Cadillac took over, they were one of the best running units in all of college football. And yeah. So the guys that are coming back there, you can kind of build on that a little bit as well. The Robbie Ashford thing, you know, it's interesting because Auburn, it's it's been no secret. Auburn's been pretty active looking for a guy in the portal and, you know, take take of that what you will. But Robbie Ashford really intrigues me. And in this day and age, I, I find myself wanting to see more of him. And you made the same comp that that, that I was earlier about you know, early Malik Willis, that, that's kind of, yeah. if you have some of those skills and Hugh Freeze can work with that, what can your offense look like? What's your outlook on, on Robbie Ashford? Do you think he can be one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC if you think he's going to be the guy? Uh, it's it's tough for me to buy into one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC just right now. Yeah. Um, because I think Alabama is the only other team in the West that doesn't have a starter coming back. Uh, which is just wild to think about. Yeah. Uh, Jaden Daniels got better as the season went on, was electric by the end of the season. We know what KJ Jefferson's accomplished. I'm a big Will Rogers fan. I, Connor, I don't know what this system scheme is going to exactly look like. I don't know how he's going to fit into whatever they're going to do now. But I know that kid's got accuracy, and he's played a ton of football, completed a ton of passes, got a bunch of touchdown passes and yards. So uh, I would probably suspect that he's going to be able to go out and have success now. The Jackson Dart thing, uh, do I think he's going to start over Spencer Sanders? No, I don't. Hey, I'm daddy's doing an interview, so let's just let's take a little break and let's watch this. You know, you're going to go watch that one. You're going to just give me one second. I apologize again. You're good. Mario uh, doesn't wait. No, and I don't, it's weird that he's into Mario. He's five, and he doesn't even know about the game, but apparently Mario's popular, and now we've started the countdown to the movie, which is three months away. So why we put a trailer out three months away uh, for a five-year-old to see, that's not good because he asks every day how many more days until the Mario movie comes out. And you know, 
If you guys want me to screen that early, by the way, please send it over. Be happy to give a review for you and share that on social media just so I can have my son not ask me every day. Um, Robbie's got the tools. Robbie's got the ability. And the thing that I think that a lot of folks either don't know or don't look at or didn't pay attention to is how little football he actually played going into last spring. So not last fall, but last spring. Um, I talked to some guys out at Oregon, and he didn't get first and second team reps. He didn't get a ton of reps in practice. He was also playing baseball there, so he split some of his time. He hasn't just been a quarterback in a while. You know, he he missed a lot of time his senior year at Hoover. So he hasn't just been healthy for an entire year and said, okay, this is yours. Now go out and get better. Take all these reps. Um, there are parts of his game that I think Hugh sees and probably says, if we can refine that and we can hone that, and we can get a little more consistent here and there, we can probably work with some of this. We know he's athletic enough, dynamic enough as a runner to not only be dangerous, but to force you to defend it. Not think about it, but defend it. So you are going to have to commit to stopping him on the ground. And even when he didn't have a lot of balance through the air last year, like you mentioned, we saw late in the year, Auburn found ways to still move the football. So you get Hunter back at tailback. If this offensive line under Jake Thornton is a little bit better, which I don't think there's no way it's not going to be a little bit better. It, it's The question is, how much better can it be? Can they turn into being a top-five offensive line in the league? We don't know that. Um, it's going to be a stretch for them to get there, but it's feasible now with all the pieces you've added. Um, I think Bat T out of South Florida is another guy that's going to be able to help him. He's a little more shifty, help you out of the backfield, and from a mindset, a mentality standpoint, talking to guys at South Florida that were with him, it's exactly what you want. Um, receiver is the position that I'm concerned about and a quarterback like Robbie Ashford, who's looking to take the next step, who is going to make mistakes and he's going to be inaccurate at times. You would hope that he has a couple of guys that are erasers that can make him right sometimes when he's not. And I just don't know how many of those guys Auburn has right now. Um, you got a couple of reliable tight ends. I don't know what Landon King's going to be when he comes back. Uh, the Fairweather kid from FIU, the tight end, big catch radius, long, super athletic. He works in the middle of the field well. He actually gets open when you split him out, working on a safety or a linebacker. So he can do some things there, but he's not a down-the-field guy. Um, and then, you know, the kid they got from Cincinnati, he's 6'6". He's more of like the Anthony Mix role. Like, I don't really – he's not going to be a tight end, but he's not a separator out wide either. So I'm surprised they haven't attacked that position a little bit more in the portal. I still think that's the one they need to go after because – D-line, especially the interior of the D-line, all the offensive line, linebacker have been attacked. Now you – and you attempted quarterback. You know, Grayson McCall couldn't get into school. I don't know what kind of polytechnical stuff they're doing at Coastal where after that many years in college you can't get into Auburn. Um, Spencer Sanders thing wasn't going to work both academically and because Hugh just kind of – I think my opinion is Hugh just kind of wanted to move on. It wasn't really worth it. And so now you're – you're probably okay with where you are at quarterback because of you didn't stretch in the portal for another guy, but they got to find receivers, Connor. Like they got to have a guy or two that you can just say, all right, man, third and eight, like we're throwing the back shoulder to this kid. That, that That's it. Or we haven't thrown a fade. We haven't thrown a go ball. Like give it to him down the field and let's see what he can do. They've got to have someone close to that. And I just don't know if they have that kid on the roster right now. I think Cam Brown, maybe possibly, but I just, I don't, we haven't seen it just yet. So we don't really know. They need like a like a Brew McCoy almost like a, a guy you could just stick on the outside and just say hey yep. I don't you don't have to get a ton of separation but we we need to be able to move the chains just go up and make a play big catch radius. and you can you can find those guys in some crazy like look at Juice Wells man like I think yeah. Juice Wells is the best receiver coming back in the SEC he's from JMU 
uh, like this kid that A&M just got from UTEP. Like you never know. Like they, some of these kids were a little undersized, a little short, not quite fast enough. And then they proved, oh, like he knows how to get open or he knows how to separate or his catch radius is massive and he doesn't drop the ball very often. Then they become extremely valuable. Like kind of like what you mentioned, Auburn's got to find just a guy or two like that. They can go out and just make you right a lot of the time. And that I think would be a massive step in helping Robbie potentially get to be in one of the top half of the quarterbacks in the SEC. I think my thing with new coaches now that I'm going to be skeptical of is when they bring in a bunch of guys from, you know, their group of five job that they had or something. And it's like, ah, do you want a bunch of yes men? Or did you really go through this process and really sit down and say like, all right, who's going to be best for this specific role? And with Harson, that was a popular topic of conversation. He had his boys, he guys, even Scott Frost. That was, I remember with UCF, that was a very like, oh, he's just going to bring his entire staff on there. Even though he took every, like all of them. Like yeah, literally. It was, bizarre to see that like and i don't think that got enough attention because it's like all right you got frost you landed you know your, your big coveted coach but so many of these decisions determine what these coaches are going to be good at and hugh freeze i thought has done a really good job so far of properly evaluating what is his offense need what is his defense need as well and you know I think that for a lot of Auburn fans, they've been pretty encouraged, even though they haven't been splashy additions to get a Philip Montgomery, to get a Ron Roberts, but, and keeping Cadillac was immensely important, of course, as well. But what's, what's kind of your, your vantage point of this staff and the job that he was done to, to assemble this? I think it's been good. It's been solid. Um, I mean, you got a guy in, in Philip Montgomery that can flat out call plays. We know that. And if it allows Hugh to maybe step away from that, as he mentioned in his opening press conference, that, He's not really sure that he wants to do that or can or is going to be able to do that. We're seeing more and more guys say it, it I, that's not what it is anymore. It's just you've got to have somebody else who can at least take it from you for a period of time or offset it to the point that you're not putting everything into it that a normal offensive coordinator play caller would because it eats up so much of your week. There's so many other things to balance and juggle in college football right now. Hell, you you recruit your roster every day, every single day. The guys that are there, the guys that are catching passes, making tackles, I mean, Connor, the amount of coaches we talked to last year, week five or six, that were telling us in our TV meetings, like, hey, we got, uh, well, I got three kids that are role players that uh, have told me they don't want to play in games anymore because they want to save this year and they want a red shirt. And, uh, you know, I got a backup quarterback that's asked me not to put him in unless it's a serious injury to the starter because he wants to save this year and not go in. Like, it's insane to think about that. But, like, those are the things that coaches are now juggling. So, I don't know. Like when I heard you say that, I was kind of like, oh man, here we go. Like, this is why you're here is because you're an elite play caller. But then you get a guy like Phil Montgomery who you know can call plays that is on the same wavelength as you. And that could allow you to be better in different areas. It makes sense. You got a D line coach that a lot of people don't know about that has an awesome reputation. I think Jake Thornton's a star in the making as an offensive line coach. He fits into what you do, he's been doing a lot of the same things with his groups. And then, like you said, you keep a couple of Auburn guys around that are going to be able to help, specifically Carnell Williams. So he's done a good job, like Zach Arnett went and got a you know a former Mississippi State receiver, made him the receivers coach. You still need guys that know the culture, that know the people, that fans and former players relate to. That's just good for the program to have them there in house. And I do think he's found a pretty good mix of some of that. Now. You got to be careful because it's, you know, when you go into your opening presser and you say, oh, the amount of texts that I'm getting and everybody's reaching out and calling me big name coaches. And then you, you don't get a lot of those, you know, fans are going to start saying, oh, like what? But if I don't expect fans to know a lot about a lot of the guys that he's gotten, but what I know talking to him and talking to other people who know him, 
I do think he's put a pretty good staff together. Beamer did the same thing. And I, I think regretted saying the way that he phrased that because it's all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've got all these texts coming in and people start throwing out the yep. biggest names possible. And then it's like, oh, he ends up with kind of a guy who's not a household name in Dow Loggins, but you're still you're still feeling like, okay, that's not what's going to determine his success uh, with yes. this job. Cadillac. Well, I think a lot of coaches feel like they have to say things like that too. It's yeah. like, it goes back to recruiting and you know, you just, you gotta, you, you have to, a lot of coaches are people pleasers in a lot of different ways and they have to continue to please those people, whether it's boosters, whether it's fans, whether it's recruits, whether it's parents, like you have to please all those people. So I think that's where sometimes those lines get crossed a little bit. You were uh, just the perfect person to be able to chronicle that moment that Cadillac had just being able to to have that in his home debut as a head coach. And I think for those on the outside looking in, kind of like, why is this such a big deal? The sovereign team's not going to a bowl game. Like who, who really cares in the grand scheme of things? And then you kind of see just the way that he was embraced. What did you take from that experience and watching him this last month as it relates to his future? Because I selfishly was sitting here saying, I hope Cadillac gets to run his own program. I kind of hope he doesn't come yeah. back to Auburn. I understand that's what he wanted, but I, I want bigger and better things because that guy showed that he can handle everything. I'll start with this. I, I think there was maybe a little bit of a misconception when the coaching search was happening that he was gung-ho, I want the job, give me the job. I, I'm I'm not sure he knew, Connor, if that was what he wanted. And I don't know if that's him – if he knew he needed more experience or if it was just different after time, but you know, he and I had a couple conversations about that. And, and I think that it made him reflect and think about a lot of different things when it comes to being the head football coach at a place like Auburn. I think he's always going to want to be at Auburn, no matter what, no matter what the role is, uh, no matter who the head coach is, if he's assistant coach or if he's the head coach and what the roster looks like, he'll always want to be at Auburn. I have no doubts about that. The main takeaway that I had in, you know, we had him back to back too because we had Mississippi State. So his first game uh, was just how genuine he is. And we talk about it all the time. Like these guys that are relatable is the word that we use. You mentioned Beamer earlier. Pittman's one of those guys that we bring up and we think about. And so many of these coaches don't feel relatable or don't come off as being relatable. Some of them we don't even know. So it's not fair for us to say if they are or not. And then you get to know them and they are. And you know, I've, I've known Carnell more than casually, but not in a professional aspect, really, since he's been doing this. Because, he, I mean, honestly, I haven't been doing it that long, first and foremost. When he was in the AAF, that thing got shut down. He's at IMG. And then all of a sudden, he's at Auburn. And all of a sudden, he's the head coach. And, you know, there was a there was a part of going through all that that when we got that Mississippi State game, and this has never happened to me before. And we start texting through the week. And then we have a production call on Tuesday. And then we start talking about and emailing things back and forth. Me, Tom, Billy, our producer, what we want to talk about, what we want to get into. And I found myself in this like protector role. And it was because I knew he didn't have a lot of experience. And so I didn't want us to do something that was going to put him in a spot where people were immediately going to frown upon it. And then once we sat down with him and started talking to him, it, it did not take long for us to understand that he's just real. That's the only way I know how to describe it. And, you know, I've, told, I've shared the story a couple of times when, when we asked him, because uh, Carlson got hurt, and we asked him about the kicker. And, you know, usually you ask a coach about a guy, because we always ask where the, you know, the, the win the game line is going to be. You know, that green line that goes on the field, like, we have to get to here. 
And so we kind of ask about that and where does it need to be? And he just, he leans back in his chair and he's like, guys, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. And so I, that's, that's again, right away, like my shield went up. Like I was, I was like, okay, you know, meeting, meetings over, whatever. Like we're, we're good. Don't worry about it. And he's like, I've never seen him kick in a game. Have you? And we were, <laughs> no. He said, so if I tell you 40 and then we get one for 42 and I'm watching him in warmups and he looks great or he hit one earlier and it like, he bombs it, then I'm probably going to go from 42. If I tell you guys 35 and he's been miserable, we get one from 33. Like I might not even kick it from 33. So I, I don't know what to tell you. Like it's, I have no idea. Now, most coaches, a lot of coaches, not most, but a lot of coaches in that instance are saying, oh, well, you know, we'll watch them in warmups. We'll evaluate. And it depends on the wind and the direction. If we're going into the student section or if that's the open end of the stadium, we'll have to see. And what are the conditions on the field? You know, is it wet? And, and uh, you know, has the ball been out there long? And, you know, has he had to go kick multiple times? Is he cold on the bench? Like everything you can imagine. And he just immediately said, I, I don't know. But him not knowing made perfect sense of why he wouldn't know. It wasn't that he didn't know what he was doing. It was just him being completely upfront and honest with us. And there were a couple other things that happened that he shared with us that honestly, like, I mean, I, I and I think the other guys knew. I was like, okay, we're not, we're not sharing that. We're not, we're not talking about that. And I think some of that was a comfort level with me. Obviously, an Auburn guy sitting down, and he had never done it. So I don't think his... Like, I don't think he had this like giant wall of protection go up when he sat down with us because he had never been burned by that before. So he didn't know, like he had never had a TV crew share something that he thought was off the record and it wasn't. And then all of a sudden it burned him. So there was just a lot of sort of, I guess, gray area, if you will, but it, none of it was negative. And the main takeaway was just like, he is an, he is an awesome human being. And, you know, people say the pregame interview at Mississippi state, apparently people hated me talking to him walking out in the A&M game, whatever. Um, the post-game interview, that. A&M, uh, that was just him. That's all I can say. Like, that wasn't the questions. That wasn't the setup. That was just him. Like, he made that. He made that what it was. He made it special. He made it dynamic. He made it fun. He made it energetic. It was just him. So, he is that guy, and I'm with you. After a few more years and some more experience, I don't even know if he needs to be somewhere else first, but someone is going to take a chance on him. And if he wants to be, if he, if he has it in his heart that he needs to be a head coach, because once again, I don't know, he has young kids. He loves Auburn. He wants to be in Auburn and financially he's fine. So I don't know if he's one of these guys. that's just like, Oh God, I gotta be a head coach tomorrow. Like, what am I doing here? I don't think he thinks that way really. And truly. So again, something that makes him a very unique individual in that profession. He's the best. And he's not, he's going to be one of those guys who doesn't, you know, we're getting away from this a little bit where, you know, like you need to be a coordinator before, you know, you're a head coach. Like he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to, to not have to worry about that and calling plays yep. and whatnot. Cause that's not necessarily his skill set. And he's, he's got great things in his future and can't wait to see what's next for, uh, for, for Cadillac Williams. Um, You've got a million things going on. Million things. You've got XFL coming up in a month. You've got Cube Show. Go subscribe. YouTube. You're on Apple Podcasts. You're you're everywhere with that. Um, you've got what else? You've got your radio show going on. You've got a Mario movie coming out in a few months. What did I <laughs> what did I leave out here? I think, I think you got it. Yeah. Uh we're trying to do, and uh, you know, part of this is kind of stealing from you and you guys because there's two that I listen to on Sundays. 
you guys at Andy Staples. So I've just always felt like we needed more college football content on Sunday. It's it's kind of like Saturday ends and then it's just over. Um, I know I'm usually traveling back from games or I'm doing different things on Sunday night or whatever, working out, going for a walk or driving home, something. I want more college football content on Sunday. So we're going to try to take that through the offseason. I think it's going to be fine because now college football is a year-round sport with the portal and coaching changes. Um, if you search Cube Show on YouTube, you probably have to put Cube Show Kubelik. We're trying to work on that. Or Cole Kubelik, just search that. It'll pop up. We do that every Sunday. And during the season, it'll be a quick film review of every team. So during the season, we're good. Um, I scan all the games, and that's why it comes out a little bit later. Now it's just who's going where. I try to study guys from smaller conferences that we hadn't seen, like the receiver from UTEP we talked about. Like, I'll go watch him. I'll share next week Like what I think of him. Is he going to play? Can he be good? different things like that. McElroy and I are on WJOX in Birmingham, 7 to 10 a.m. weekday mornings, jocksfm.com. Um, XFL, February 18th. Uh, me, Tom, Greg, and Katie, just what I needed was 12 more Saturdays with Greg and 12 more Saturdays with Tom. Katie George, I'm sure, will be amazing, but those two, I'm going to have to figure out a way that we're going to manage this. Uh, but I'm excited about doing it. The access is going to be fun. Everybody saw it a couple of years ago when COVID shut it down. It's great to just kind of get down there on the field, talk to guys, get their response, the energy. It's uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be really cool. going to be really fun. And, yeah, we got a long way to go for this Mario movie. And it better be good because <laughs> uh, the hype leading in is going to be massive for my five-year-old. And if it's not good, he is going to be let down. Like we don't do McDonald's in our household, but when they had the Mario toys come out, like we had to go get happy meals. And now I'm reliving when I was a kid, like when the certain things came out in the happy meals, you had to get them all. It's like you kept going back and I've become that. This is really embarrassing. I've become that parent that when I'm in line, I get to the window and I'm like, okay, um, do you guys have anything besides the princess or the Mario? Yeah. Because we have plenty of those, like anything different. And they just look at you like, what in the F are you doing? Like you're obviously in your forties and you're asking us which toys are in the happy meals. I'm like, I'm just trying to make the kids happy. Just keep they, they the get kids that all the time. Don't happy. Go, no, get out of here with that. They get that. They have to get that all the time. I'm like, I'll give you more money right now. <laughs> if you just give me the ones we need, we've got three of the five. I need two more, figure it out. And then, you know, we've gotten really lucky. We've hit on did We've, I took him like the McDonald's downtown. I looked just like the McDonald's over in Hoover, like just trying to make sure we get the different ones. So we're we're on the we're on the right path. We got two more to go, and uh, it might take some finagling slash eBay to just make sure we get those. He'll make it happen. Santa will make that happen in the very near future. Yeah, no doubt about that. Cole, appreciate the time, man. Uh, stay busy, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Connor. I appreciate you having me. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates for us. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out. Let's check in on some New Year's resolutions. Let's do it this way. I meant to post this in the Facebook group about like two weeks before the new year. I was wondering if people are going to have New Year's resolutions yet. So maybe this is a better way to do it. We can check in three to four weeks after New Year's resolutions have begun. Will, did you have a New Year's resolution this year? 
Um, I had a couple. It's funny though, because I, I feel like a meathead now that I'm looking at them. Pretty much they're all lifting goals. And like we we did ours like together as a couple. And Brittany was like, I'm trying to like lose stuff. I was like, I'm trying to gain stuff. I don't care if I'm 300 pounds if I'm just putting up numbers, brother. <laughs> all right. So what are what what are they? We gotta know. You can't talk about gains and then not share your goals. I'm gonna get slandered so hard for this because they should be higher than they are. But okay, boom. So I wanna bench at least 255. Um, I want to get my squat back over 415. Uh, my deadlift, I want to get it back over 400. That's the funny thing is these are all numbers I've hit before other than bench, which as we discussed, I'm terrible at. Um, but yeah, it's it pretty much just those three, you know, the, the thousand club, I guess. So I'm trying to trying to get up there and get it measurable, which is the best part about lifting is like it, you know, number go up. You either get the number or you don't. That's it. That was a big deal in high school. Thousand pound club. Huge deal. If you could get in the thousand pound club. Man, there were like very few non-linemen who could do that in high school. And I actually kind of worry about the non-linemen who are doing that in high school. I was like, yeah, that's, that's probably too much weight for you. I don't, I don't know that you should be throwing that much on, on the old bench there. Terrible. Unless you're Jalen Hurts. Hey, was Jalen Hurts doing that in high school too? Probably. probably. He'll just walk on Alabama. He was almost in the 2,000-pound club at Oklahoma yeah. and Alabama. Yeah, he was a freak. That's true. That's true. Nick Chubb. Very oh, frequent man. member. <laughs> 2000 pound club. Yeah. He'll, uh, he was in a thousand kilogram club. Seriously. My, my new year's resolution, uh, no gains, no, no weightlifting goals for this past year. Just want to stay relatively fit. Um, just embrace all things. Dad life was the goal. Yeah. Buy the new balances, make, make the dad jokes. My, uh, my brother and sister-in-law actually got me this tin of dad jokes that I had a moment where I'm like, do I need to say a dad joke on the podcast every single time? And then I thought, if we get a one-star review because of a dad joke that I didn't come up with, I'm going to feel really bad. So I'm just going to keep these to myself, cycle through one a day and just get myself mentally prepared for dad life. I think that's probably the better way to do it. Don't want to have those hidden reps. I mean, you were the most like dad person without kids I've ever met too. So like, <laughs> it feels like you've been repping this, the mental, you know, the champion of life mentality of being a dad, that kid's going to, you're going to have like a whole book of dad jokes and isms. Yeah. You guys ready to rock and roll? Connor, there's no one here at this restaurant with you. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Uh, I will, I'll do the best I can to not embarrass, embarrass our daughter at restaurants and whatnot and not have those, just always in public at the restaurant. That's where they always come out because you feel kind of awkward. You make a comment to the server. Do you not? Those, those, uh, what are they? The, um, the Geico commercials are incredible. Uh, you, you, you want to stop acting like your parents. Here's what you do. Like all the, the yeah. he comes out with the book and all those different things. It's like, we don't need a line leader. Let's, let's chill. Those, those commercials get me every time. So maybe it's a good thing that I'm laughing at those commercials. And I'm not sitting there like the, the dude with the fanny pack wondering you know why exactly no nobody else is at the airport four hours before the flight takes off so i don't know that's that's so what about parking is the one that gets me because you're like gotta be two hours early to find parking we gotta start yep. thinking about this the whole time it's it's just it's smart i'll be honest all right let's not let's not plan our exit before we even get into the stadium okay let's let's figure that out first okay facebook group New Year's resolutions. Did you have one? If so, have you kept it? What's a New Year's resolution you successfully stuck to for an entire year? And then a little bit separate. Is dry January separate from New Year's resolutions? What what's your take on that? Um, I feel like that see, I feel like that's a thing that's come like been kind of a newer thing. But I think it's just everyone kind of does a reset in January. It's all related, right? You see, I've been going to public gyms a lot. I have my gym that I've kind of built in my garage because I don't want to deal with the people who don't know what they're doing in gyms that just overcrowd gyms. So I feel like people drink less, people like work out more, and then by like February it's all kind of back to regular. And I'll say this, and I'm in the same same position as you where 
garage that's got the garage set up. Haven't when I go visit my brother or something like that, that's really the only time I'm going to a public gym anymore, just because it's like, all right, if you've got the equipment, no, don't necessarily need to do that. But as much as it's frustrating to be in those spots, I always applaud people for being willing to do it. And I'm always kind of like, you know what? I don't care that it's your new year's resolution. The fact that you're here, you know, on an elliptical, you're doing it and you're doing something. And that to me, being able to just better yourself and deciding that that's what you want to do. Like I'm, I'm going to applaud that at the same time. If you don't want to do that, then whatever you do, you, you figure it out, whatever, whatever you want to do for your new year's resolution. Or if you just think new year's resolutions are stupid, you do you. Yeah. Let's start with this one from memory. Emery Picker. When I was in high school, I decided to enlist in the army, but I was extremely overweight, like close to 300 pounds at 16. Big boy. He just like me for real. Love it. Uh, I made the New Year's resolution to lose weight and lost over 100 pounds. I got my one mile time from not being able to fully run a mile to just under six minutes a mile for short distance runs under three miles. In the years since, I've blown out both of my knees and have back injuries. So all that has fallen off, but I'm still proud of that accomplishment that allowed me to enlist in the infantry. That's probably a better way to have a fitness goal. If if it's strictly, I want to be better for the sake of my health, it's hard. You can, there, there are just so many outs that you can, that you can give yourself. But if you're telling yourself like Henry did, oh, I, I want to be able to enlist in the army. And if I continue this way, I'm not going to be able to do that. That impacts the rest of your life doing something like that. If it's just, oh, I'd like to be able to you know, lose 10 pounds or something like that. It's really hard to, to stay disciplined on something like that and to stay accountable for that. So yeah, not sure. to say that everybody, if you want to lose weight, you should just tell yourself you're going to enlist in the army, but it's not the worst idea. The guaranteed way, you know, if you do your sign up and you're like, Hey, I got six months to drop a hundred pounds or my life is going to be hell. Then Hey, you're going to lose that weight. But yeah, I got, got to applaud Emory for that because that is like a big time Love it. commitment, big time, like life turnaround situation. And obviously he has like a bunch of great experiences and memories that kind of like shaped his life from that. So that's, that's, you know, the just do it mentality, man. Love that. Trey Becton says in 2020, I walked into my doctor's office and I was told I was pre-diabetic. I'm 6'2 and was 334 pounds that visit. He told me I needed to make some big changes or things would only get worse for me. I've started working out and eating right. I've lost over a hundred pounds and have kept it off. Let's go. Dang. We're starting out with a bang. Losing a hundred pounds. That's gotta be outside of, I don't want to, I don't want to discount having kids before I have them. Um, outside of maybe having a child, that's gotta be the hardest thing you do in your life. It is so freaking hard to do that. I mean, like I thought losing 25 pounds when I did going into my senior year of college was like, oh my God, the discipline that it took to be able to do that. And that's when I have a, a metabolism and I'm like kind of in shape people that can do that at age, whatever you are, um, that that's whether you're 16, whether you're 36 to lose over a hundred pounds, the, the best way to put that into perspective is carry a hundred pound object and realize like my hard work got that off of my body. That is unbelievable. That's, that's beyond a new year's resolution to do, to do it that way. And hopefully did so healthy. And sounds like Trey was able to do that, making dietary changes and doing all those things as well. But that the ultimatum. The diabetic thing, like have something That'll that's going to motivate you. Yeah. Did, did I ever tell you my story of like how I actually lost weight in high school and like how that happened? You were a different, I don't want to say this, in the wrong way. You were built differently in high school than you are now. You weren't powerlifting 
in no, I was school. skinny. I got a yeah. concussion. That's why I got a little bit bigger and started powerlifting. I was skinny until like like 2017 or 18. But yeah, so okay, this is like actually a really embarrassing story, but it's funny. So basically, I wanted to, you know, hit this girl up. And there was a day where, you know, <laughs> this is at the end of eighth grade. Okay. You know, they have those like free days where like, you know, dudes are playing football in the middle of the track and like people are walking around the outside of the track or whatever. Um, basically, <laughs> I, I was like out there playing football or whatever. And uh, this girl that like I like was kind of like looking at me from whatever. And I kind of like took a break, wanted to go talk to her. I was like sweating and everything. And she's like, yo, what are you doing out there, man? You want to come walk with us? I was like, oh, and like mentally, I was like, I was like, yeah, you can, you look out of place in this situation. You need to go figure your life out a little bit. So I just spent that whole like, like uh, summer, I started to say off season, (laughs) spent that whole summer like grinding and and I pulled up first day of school and like asked her out and she was like, yes. And I was like, let's go. And so, yeah, that was my, my first time I ever like accomplished something was I dropped like a hundred and like 120 pounds i was big dude i was like emory size if not a little bit bigger and then i got to like skinny skinny and then now i've kind of somewhere in the middle because i like food so i think we have hit on the three biggest motivators for losing weight (laughs) have somebody of the opposite sex be super attracted to you and convince yourself that losing that weight which is something that i did going into my senior year of, of college as well that was a huge motivator for me the girl that i had a crush on at the time Enlist in the army. Yes. Or be told you have a serious potential health issue upcoming if you don't make these changes. Those three things right there, like that's that's kind of the cover all. That'll do it. What pick pick your lane? One of those three things. Navy SEAL as well. Don't want to necessarily discount any any branch of, of any sort of service academy, anything like that. But one of those three things is probably at the root of of why. And if you really want to stick to it. That, that you will not find a better motivator than that. Or alternatively, if you see somebody experience something very significant from a health standpoint, something that's somebody that's really close to you and you see, oh, they didn't take care of this, this, and this, and I don't want to follow in those footsteps. That, But that's also along the same lines of like potential serious health thing down the line. So yeah, those three things mm-hmm. all under the same umbrella. Okay, let's go to this one from Grant Haney. Grant says... One New Year's resolution that I successfully stuck to for an entire year was not having ketchup for an entire year. Okay. (laughs) While that seems like an easy task, the looks you receive when you kindly decline Henry Hines' prize condiment on foods like meatloaf or hamburger at a summer cookout definitely tests one's resolve and commitment to the resolution. As far as dry January goes, it definitely deserves to be separate from New Year's resolutions. While it was, while it's impressive to go 31 days without alcohol, mentioning it in the same breath as full New Year's resolutions accomplishments is like Ohio State playing six games and claiming it belonged in the 2020 playoff. There we go. <laughs> COVID season slander, baby. We wrapped it all the way around. Um. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That. Uh, yeah. Because the New Year's resolution of dry January that does. We'll officially declare that that is separate. If your resolution is to drink less, that's different than dry January. And for anybody that's, you know, Lauren's obviously not drinking during pregnancy. It's natural dry January. A lot of people do it, not hating on it. There are a lot of people who also say, I don't want to drink for the rest of the year because they get really drunk on New Year's on New Year's Eve. And then they're like, let's see if I can do this for an entire year. And then it turns into dry January. And then it turns into dry first week of January happens okay nothing wrong with that um if you have that food that you feel like you can't live without which it sounds like this is what ketchup was for grant 
I think that still falls under the resolution discussion. I think that's still fair game. Because some somebody's gonna say that's not that serious, but I don't think a resolution has to be serious, right? That that almost feels more of like a lint thing, like we used to do in Louisiana, where yeah, you give yeah. something up that you love. Yep. Because I'm like staring at this, and I'm like, is ketchup way worse for you than I thought? Because in my mind, it's like mayonnaise is obviously terrible, mustard is not that bad for you. I always kind of put ketchup in the middle, but maybe it's like closer to the top than the bottom. I don't know. It's it's loaded with sugar. Yeah, yeah, it's got a lot of sugar in there, and if it just becomes that default thing that you have all the time. And you realize that you're having something like that pretty much with every meal and it's hurting you in that way. That's why you got to switch to Texas Pete. Just saying. There you go. Hey, just saying. I was about to say my million dollar idea is diet ketchup. I could just make diet ketchup and then everybody could be health conscious because that's, yeah, you're right though. You, know, you get some fries. It's like, dang, what am I going <laughs> to do now? I think there are a lot of good fry sauce alternatives. Texas I, Pete, like we said, I'm, I love hot sauce. I'm a big, te- you know what I'm saying? So like that wouldn't affect me because I would just, put Texas B on it. Eric Church likes mustard on his fries. Okay. Mm-hmm. So some of us are wired differently. I, I would go honey mustard on fries. I'd go ranch on fries. Ketchup is never something I crave anymore. I go Texas beef barbecue sauce. I like there are there are a lot of options. If ketchup's available, fine. We're eating ketchup. No big deal. Did it the other day. Not to brag. Um but other than that, like I just don't find myself eating ketchup anymore. I just always think there's a better option. Yeah, that's a that's a fact. Actually, challengers love to find new alternatives to ketchup, and you won't miss. It. Yeah, and if you tell me then what do you put on a hot dog, I would say, not ketchup. Not ketchup. Never. Ketchup. I was about to say if I was at a cookout and I was grilling and somebody was like putting a ketchup on my burger, I'd be like, get out of here! <laughs> Don't put ketchup on my burgers. I'm making. Ketchup in my doesn't, opinion. It doesn't taste bad. It just overpowers everything. Right. That's a good. Yeah. Like that's how exactly how I view it. It's like, is my burger that bad? You know, you put ketchup on it. All right. Yeah, like that's 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 always the problem that I have with ketchup on steak. And teach their own, I get it. But when my mom puts all that ketchup on steak and puts Lowry's on it, I'm like, what? Why'd you get a steak? Right. Get get some get some ground chuck in here. It's gonna taste the exact same. Okay. Yep. But whatever. Okay, let's do one more here. Um, let's end with this one from Laura Doyle. Laura says. I am never bringing up New Year's resolutions ever again. My birthday is this week. All of you doing dry January can suck it and stop ruining it for your friends with January birthdays. We already have to deal with it being cold and dark and miserable and stuff. And now this. That beckons another question. Is January the worst month for a birthday? Wow. I've never thought about that. But as I, well, okay. So. Anything near Christmas is a no, in my opinion, because then you got to like get two presents. But I think this is a pretty close second because you've already come off of the high of Christmas. And to her point, it's like everybody's trying to work out. Everybody's trying to be healthy. So it's like, let's go have a big dinner. It's like, well, I can't have this. I can't have this. And I'm as guilty of that as anybody. Like, I'll be not, I'll be good about food for like a month. It, it'd be like, sorry, yeah, it's your birthday. I'm eating some chives here. <laughs> it's like, come on, bro. Worst week between Christmas and New Year's. Worst month, January has to be because on top of just having those those two parties that you just had if you have a birthday like january 8th or something like that or january 9th and you try and plan a party you're like what what no like i don't want to come out and celebrate with you and you know after we we just swore off alcohol for that long and i i would tend to think too nobody's excited coming back to school when it's your birthday when you're a kid that's a bad month to 
to like, oh, everybody's kind of down, especially in the Midwest where it's cold and snowy and January is just miserable. Um, yeah, I mean, because even February is better because people, it's not just right on the heels of Christmas and New Year's. So I think January is the, the worst month. What's the best month to have a birthday? I mean, mine's in September, which I think is prime because you could get you could roll in like a kickoff game for football like oh well I'll do this for my birthday it's just far enough away from the holidays to where people get you separate presents the weather is really nice I think that because for me I like to have football stuff for my birthday I like yeah. to go to games I like to do that as you know this shows the podcast though that I just disappear for the podcast and because I'm like one of my buddies is like let's do this so yeah I think I I've always loved that but I'm obviously biased I'm hoping that I'm hoping that our daughter gets a May birthday and I'm because she's due May 28th. So if it were to be that weekend as somebody who also has a May birthday, I was always kind of jealous that my mom and brother, their birthdays are like a couple weeks apart in September as well. They love September birthday. Everybody's excited for football season. But the only downside of that is that people like at school aren't quite as excited yet. Cause it's like, you're just coming back. The vibes aren't necessarily great. I was I, I enjoyed May in many ways because the weather was good, but at the same time, once I got to college, it was the worst. I had the worst week ever because it was finals week, and that was just awful. No, you talk about nobody wanted to go out. Nobody <laughs> wanted to go out during finals week. Wow, that's actually really. I would say that growing up in Chicago, you could roll a Cubs game into that. You know what I'm saying? Because opening day has already happened. You yep. could just kind of take off the of school and go to one of the nooner Cub games. That sounds pretty fun. One of the best birthdays of my life: fifth grade field trip was to a Cubs game. I was class president. One of the best days of, of my life, truly. Like where I just had peace and bliss. Go to a Cubs game, get to pick out my group of friends that I get to be with, you know, throughout that entire day. Get to pick like my supervisor, like whatever adult chaperone I wanted, I got to pick out. Come home, have Lumel Nadis for dinner, open up baseball cards for two hours afterwards. I don't think I had to go to school the next day or something like that. I was sick or whatever. Um, blessed day blessed day may birthday mm-hmm. i don't know how we got on subject of birthdays talking about new year's resolutions but well because because like laura said that her birthday was in january oh that's right that's right yeah. that's right yeah okay january not the best i feel you laura definitely feel you okay let's end with some lad of the week who you got well you know my lad of the week connor joe burrow yet again i think that this week you know i one of my themes for the year has been when society wants something to happen you know, and it doesn't line up with what you want to happen. Sometimes you just got to make your way of life happen. And, you know, that whole thing was happening for the AFC championship game in Atlanta. And I think that people were trying to see that game with the Bills and the Chiefs. Exactly the same thing happened last year where the Bills and the Chiefs had this great semifinal game. And they were like, that might as well have been the AFC championship game. And then Joe Burrow went up to Arrowhead and won and went to the Super Bowl, as we all remember. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I love Joe Burrow, obviously. I'm no, no breaking news here, but I think that, when you go through kind of the amount of stuff that he has at every turn, it's been like, well, you're not good enough for this. You're not good enough for this. You know, you, you have all these new quarterbacks that have come in that have started compared to him. And it's like, no, they just went up there. Josh Allen and the bills were just the preseason favorite every year. And every time the Bengals have won something, you know, every media member has been, it's made them wrong. And that, that really makes me happy. I love the tweets afterward. like the quote of like, Hey, ask for those refunds for that AFC championship game. And it landed on the neutral site. So, you know, the, the Hamlin situation is like obviously very tough and you know, it's, it's terrible that like everything happened. Um, and, and the bills obviously, you know, mostly got the bad part of that, but the, the, the Bengals basically, you know, the whole, 
the whole like kind of spotlight of the NFL went onto the Bills and kind of missing the whole Bengals part of it, where they had, they had the coin flip, they had like all this stuff where they were accidentally kind of the on on the reciprocator of, of all this stuff that happened that that they didn't have any control over. Yep. And it was like, well, sometimes the world wants this thing to happen. Sometimes the world wants this big redemption story. Sometimes the world wants this neutral thing that's never happened, so that we could talk about new things. And then there's just Joe Burrow sitting there being like, I don't care. <laughs> Ask for your refund. So that's lad of the week. Not a whole lot of athletes in the last 10 years have had a better approval rating than Joe Burrow. I'm going to discount Olympic athletes. Yeah. Because that's going to get universal support, obviously, but a team sport athlete who has been as universally liked as Joe Burrow. And it's gotta be, I think right now is the critical juncture because if he doesn't win a Super Bowl this year, then it's going to be like, Oh, you know, you can't win the big one already there's there's going to be people saying that like if he gets to a super bowl and then comes up just short and you're like look at what he walked into but his approval rating is got to be all-time high for 21st century athletes it's insane this guy's unbelievable it's unbelievable yeah. and I'm, I'm sure it annoys a lot of people but like that's the thing it's like that's just who he is he just wears spongebob shirts i think he's better than anybody he's just really confident and that's you can kind of see the metric of how people kind of view themselves with how they view Joe Burrow because it's like if how he is intimidates you that he's just a fun guy that makes people happy and yeah. you think that's whack then like I don't know what to tell you bro you're just a hater of good things right <laughs> it's like okay yeah. all right I went in a different direction very different direction I went with Brett Maher so oh, man the dude is out here getting clowned left and right for working through something that was extremely embarrassing and Kickers have one job, totally get it. When Cody Parkey did the double doink, I said some not, not so nice things afterwards when he was, not because of the miss, I understand the miss happens, but when he's going on Good Morning America and he's doing this PR tour just to show how well he's handling being the most hated man in Chicago, the biggest eye roll ever. Brett Maher, at least so far, hasn't done any of that. And that game couldn't have started off worse for him. If you're watching on Sunday, he has the blocked extra point, which was after Jerry Jones came out to him during the pregame struggles, which I, I don't know what in the world Jerry Jones thought he was doing. Jerry Jones isn't God, probably shouldn't be speaking to Brett Maher. God is the only person who probably should be speaking to Brett Maher before a game like that. Just a thought. Um, but then he steps into the second half. He drills two field goals. He works his way out of those issues, does so on the road in a divisional game. They didn't lose the game because of him. They lost the game because Dak can't stop throwing picks. I've been following Brett Maher for a while because he went to high school in the town that I used to live in, in Nebraska. How about that? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Um, and he's, he was a stud athlete in high school, like three sports star. He was all state in three different sports and then was, was a kicker uh, at Nebraska. And I never covered him when he was in high school or at Nebraska, because like I said, like my year in school, but there'd be times when he'd be at the local high, like his, his high school, Carney high. And he would just be out there by himself, just booting kicks and, you know, just doing whatever he can, trying to, trying to make it, trying to get a contract. Cause that's when he was, you know, his undrafted guy, but everything that I had ever heard about him, his family, I still have his dad's cell number for some odd reason, but great human being, great family. And I, yeah, I felt like kind of sucked to watch him go through it and went through it in a very bad way and not like making excuses for him or anything, but it was just, I was one of those probably very few people that felt happy to see him kick a couple of field goals and not be this, this goat for this team. And especially not to cost them the game or something like that. Something that I found myself rooting for just because of the proximity and kind of knowing his situation. He was a dual punter and kicker in the CFL. I didn't know that. It looks like he played both positions. He was so good in the CFL. That's cool. Some called him Pat McAfee. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just just like that. 
Not quite. I think, well, yeah, we'll it's one of those, like, I think this guy will probably figure it. It's like, you're a punter and a kicker. Maybe the lead up to something you probably can get over. Because, hey, if not, maybe just go back to being a punter. Yeah, maybe. That's that's probably the best way to do it. Uh, but, yeah, great pod. That was fun. A lot of NFL talk. That's the most NFL talk I think we've had in a long time. But but good. I think a bunch of, uh, a bunch of very topical things as it relates to quarterbacks and um, what, we're, what we're looking at for the conference championship. Appreciate Cole Kublik for joining us. Of course, if you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod at Sat Down South. Subscribe to our newsletter, Blue Chip Grit. Adam Spencer doing great work with that. That's going to come out twice a week. We've got mm-hmm. Saturday football, uh, that newsletter, the football newsletter coming out as well. we got three newsletters right now for Saturday Down South. You should subscribe to all of them. Join the Facebook group, hear your name read on air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.